Welcome to another special edition of the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Kate Calusiestes, one of the pastors on staff. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open and affirming congregation. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our messages, we hope that you will find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your journey of faith. We invite you to listen with us now. So just a couple of Sundays ago, I ended a sermon by asking y'all to close your eyes as we explored Jesus's ascension. And right now I'm about to ask you to close your eyes as we start a sermon exploring Isaiah's vision. And so I just have to assure you that this is not gonna be a pattern. Uh, But this passage, often described as Isaiah's call story, is sensory overload. It's the prophet's personal encounter with Yahweh, the one true God of Israel, whom Isaiah sees attended by seraphim flying amid incense smoke and shuddering foundations. Now understand, seraphim are angels, but they are not the sort of angel you would put on your Christmas tree. A seraph is like a cobra with wings. It's a terrifying creature. Yet through a seraph, Isaiah receives God's salvation and is then able to receive God's call. So yeah, this text is a full-on prophetic vision, which is why I suggest that as you listen now to the reading, you close your eyes in hopes of your mind's eye giving you some share of what Isaiah experienced and wrote about in chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of God's robe filled the temple. Seraphim were in attendance above God. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a person of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning's majestic opening hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which, by the way, has been hymn number one for multiple hymnals. 
it like the Rwandan interpretation of the same text, which the choir will share in just a few minutes. It strives to capture some hint of what Isaiah beholds, the holy, holy, holy God whose hem, just the hem of God's robe fills the great temple of Jerusalem, the most spectacular place Isaiah would have ever heard of. It would be as if I saw the hem of God's robe filling the Grand Canyon. This God infinitely exceeds any earthly place. This God is enthroned high and lofty, and even the fearsome seraphim are so dazzled by the divinity of God that they must shield their eyes as they ceaselessly praise the Lord. And it is in this arena of heavenly worship, in the very presence of this holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, that Isaiah haplessly finds himself, and he knows he's lost. He has no wings with which to cover his eyes. He has looked upon the one true God. It brings him nothing but terror, and he exclaims, woe is me. But then one of God's seraphim flies to him. It brings no ordinary comfort no cool drink of water on a hot afternoon, comfort. No, it brings a live coal too hot to handle. And with that, the seraph touches Isaiah's lips, the part of himself that Isaiah identified as unclean. The seraph touches Isaiah's lips with the burning coal and then speaks ultimate comfort. Your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. To use a word that can sound old-fashioned, this is salvation. Then, reverberating through the smoke that rises from the altar comes the very voice of God. The Lord of hosts, the Lord God Almighty, seeks a representative to participate in God's work. And Isaiah's new understanding of himself as saved from his sin emboldens him to respond, to volunteer in the presence of this holy, holy, holy God. Awestruck Isaiah has been transformed by God's grace and is thus empowered to participate in God's own mission. It's quite a call story quite a vision. But what does it have to do with us? Never mind seraphim, do we experience ourselves as being in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God? Further, do we know ourselves to be forgiven of sin and thus freed to take part in God's ongoing work? And finally, do we recognize ourselves as called to serve as God's representatives? Those are the key pieces of Isaiah's vision, experiencing God's awe-inspiring presence, receiving God's transformative salvation, and accepting God's call to action. You gotta love the grandeur of Isaiah's story, 
but few of us can relate to such a text, which is why I want us also to consider the God presented in today's gospel text, which the choir just sang to us. John's vision of the God who so loves the world as to send God's only Son, not with condemnation, but with, and here's that word again, salvation. Can you feel yourself in the awesome presence of that God and receive that gracious gift and notice in it a call to serve this world that God so loves. One of the many, many questions that I puzzle over in my faith is the question of what is ours to do? I mean, if God is so almighty, then why do I have to do anything? What's more, if God is so forgiven, forgiving, then why should I do anything? The best answer I have is grateful response. When awestruck Isaiah's woe is me is transformed by the assurance that your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out, he felt grateful and was thus eager to respond when God presented an opportunity. Now, this isn't quid pro quo. That would assume some parity between God and us. No, this is a desire to respond to God's grace, and it carries a sense that participating in God's life is where we belong. Which brings to mind the artwork on today's bulletin cover. I encourage you to find that and look at it. Plenty of interpretation swirls around this 15th century Russian icon, but I want to draw your attention to just one detail. Near the bottom, centered under the golden chalice that sits on the low table between the three figures, you can see a small rectangle. It looks almost like a postcard that's there on the front edge of that table. Those of you at home, have a tremendous advantage right now because you can just zoom right in on that. In that little rectangle, art conservators have found traces of adhesive, <laughs> causing experts to speculate that at some point there may have been a mirror affixed to that spot. And that would mean that worshipers gazing upon the Holy Trinity would have seen themselves included in that holy company. I love that. The awe may be subtler, stemming not from terrifying seraphim, but from the relationship inherent in the Trinity. And the salvation may also be subtler, no burning coal to the lips, but a tacit inclusion at the table of grace and the call is certainly subtler. No, who will go for us, but rather you, you, you are part of us. And here, we must pause to consider how 
the holy, 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 one true God of Israel came to be represented as three persons. The Trinity is not spelled out anywhere in the Bible. Rather, the Trinity is a doctrine derived from the Bible. Some folks find suggestion of it in the Old Testament. Amid the Hebrew emphasis on the one true God, you find stories like today's Isaiah passage that quote God as saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Old Testament scholars define that us as the heavenly council, not as the Trinity, but it isn't the Old Testament's only plural expression of the singular God. Still, it's not until we get to the New Testament and meet Jesus that there's any real need for this Trinity concept. Jesus is God with us, that's one divine person, and Jesus comes from God and prays to God and is called Son of God, so that's two divine persons. And then, as we celebrated together last Sunday on Pentecost, there's the Holy Spirit, who is also God. So that's three. Yet the early church wanted to make absolutely clear that Christians don't believe in three gods. After all, Jesus was a faithful Jew, and through him we are adopted into the family of Yahweh, Israel's one God. And thus, the terminology of God in three persons, blessed Trinity, evolved. Now, the Trinity is not some pick-your-own affair. The Trinity is indivisible, perfect, perfect wholeness. But we imperfect disciples may more readily relate to one person of the Trinity at some times, another at other times. What matters is that, like the God whom Isaiah encountered, each person of the Trinity reflects how God relates to us, always awing us with holiness, always transforming us with grace, always inviting us to respond. Perhaps you do experience the God of Isaiah's vision, the Holy One whose glory our first hymn celebrated, the Almighty God whose insistence upon righteousness is so powerful that it cleanses us of all unrighteousness. You may not have a story like Isaiah's, but make no mistake, church, you are in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God every day. Amen? You may not have a vision like Isaiah's, a vision in which the hem of God's robe fills the grandest place you can imagine, but you are in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God every moment. Amen? Amen. And when you stand in that presence, like Isaiah, appropriately awed by God's divine holiness and appropriately aware of your own human brokenness. Know that God's salvation is able to transform you and empower you to accept God's invitation to participate in God's work. On this Trinity Sunday, may each of us recognize anew the presence of the holy, 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 
God. And may each of us be empowered by the knowledge that we are transformed by God's forgiveness. And may, may each of us hear this transforming, empowering, holy, holy, holy God calling every one of us to serve. And may every one of us respond with Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. And please visit our website, covpresatl.org, for more information as well as our full archive of recorded services to learn more about us and to get in touch with us. We wish you well in these times of upheaval. Grace and peace to you.